Welcome into this Five Clubs Conversation. I'm Gary Williams. The guy who's joining me did a hell of a lot in amateur golf. He won the U.S. Pub Links. He won the U.S. Amateur. He was part of a victorious Walker Cup team. He did all that in one year, which puts him in the company of the first greatest superstar in golf that America ever knew, and that was Bobby Jones. And he went on and, and was making his way in professional golf, and then he wasn't. And what was he going to do? Well, he turned to television, and now he's becoming a star when it comes to talking about the game of golf at the network level. And I'm talking about Colt Nost. And Colt has got his podcast, the Subpar Podcast with Drew Stoltz. He's got his radio program on SiriusXM called Graving the Sleaze that you can listen to 12 to 2 Eastern Time, Monday through Wednesday. And that is also with Drew Stoltz. And then he is now a big part of the CBS golf broadcast team. How did this all happen? And where did it all start? That's coming up with Colt Nost. that we welcome in colt nose code how are you buddy i'm fantastic gary really really appreciate you having me on listen i i have uh wanted to do this because you know i, I go back to the first time i saw you in a television environment it was actually in the hallway at the golf channel studios in orlando and you were kind of dipping your toe in the water and i don't know if that was 18 or 19 do you remember when that was it was when I was hurt and I was still playing. It might have been even 17, okay. 17, 18, some, sometime around there. Um, yeah, I did a week at Golf Central, which was uh, which was very, very interesting. Well, you've come you've come an awful long way in a very short amount of time. And we're going to talk about the career. But I, I want to start, though, because, you know, most people are going to associate you with 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 Dallas, with SMU, Garrettsville, Ohio. <laughs> Which I was looking up Garrettsville, Ohio, Northeast Ohio, little tiny town where you mm -hmm. were born. Who was from Garrettsville, Ohio? Yeah, so that's where my mom and dad were. Um, my my a lot of people don't know like my whole backstory. My dad passed away when I was when I was very very young, and my mom moved to Texas when I was probably you know two and a half years old. So I I picked up a Texas accent pretty quickly. So a lot of people don't really associate me with Ohio. I mean, people ask where I'm from. I normally say Texas. It's just uh, it's just easier that way. But yeah, I still have some family up in the Ohio area and everything. I actually took a recruiting trip to Kent State, which is close to Garrettsville. Coach Herb Page there, who's a legend who I'd known for a long time. Um, I went up there. He was the only place I was considering going to school up north. And it's just kind of because it was home. He was incredible. But I went on a recruiting trip in December and there was a foot of snow on the ground. And they were hitting balls in the field house. And I'm like, mm -mm, I can't I can't do this. <laughs> the um, the decision to, to pursue golf. Take me through the, the early part of your life when when you started to to narrow your focus to the game of golf. Why was it? What was the curiosity? And, and then what was what was it about the passion that you gained from the game of golf? Where did that all stem from? So I've always been just an absolute sports junkie. Um, every single sport. Loved it. Played it. Um, realized at a young age at about 12, I probably wasn't going to be six to 180. Uh, so that kind of led to things a little bit, but I didn't pick up golf till I was 12 years old for a, for a small town that I grew up in Texas. We actually had four or five really, really good golfers that were my age. 
that I grew up with. One was one of the best in the in the state of Texas, this kid named Travis Irick. And he was obsessed. I mean, he was all in putting green in the in the backyard, everything. And I just picked up the game and fell in love with it. Um, it gave me something to do to stay competitive. And I got pretty good pretty fast. And we had a pretty, pretty good for, like I said, for the town we grew up in with no golf course. Also, um, we had a pretty damn good high school team. So it was cool. And from there, I just kept going, man. I, I fell in love and I was obsessed. And that's that's all I wanted to do. Are you talking about Pilot Point? Yeah. Yeah. Now, give everybody a sense of where is Pilot Point in, in conjunction to the other major metropolitan areas in the state of Texas? Yeah, so it's it's about an hour north of Dallas. Okay. Uh, it's about 30 minutes from the Oklahoma border. So, I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's a it's, you know, a horse country town. It's a football town. If you've seen Friday Night Lights, you know, about Odessa and Midland. I mean, we're a smaller version of that. I mean, the town shuts down Friday night. The football stadium is packed. Um, you know, we got like the winningest Texas high school football coach ever is a guy named G.A. Moore, um, who was at Pilot Point and then also at the rival school Salina. But it was a football town, man. But I was fortunate. I had a lot of support there in Pilot Point. We drove to a golf course. It was like 20 minutes away to play. And man, I was hooked. Like I, I, I've, I've told you, like people are like, you ever get tired of talking about golf? And I'm like, honestly, no, like I, I, I live for it. This is this is what I love to do. Being out there in the fairways, walking with these guys, you know, it still gets my adrenaline going, even though I'm just talking about it. Um, I just, I, I love everything about the game when I'm, when I'm not talking about it or not out there, I'm, I'm watching it or playing it. You know, you, you said to me, I was, I was lucky enough to, you would ask me to co-host your, your show recently and somebody uh, associated with Oklahoma state was on and you said, yeah, yeah. It's because Mike Holder didn't, he didn't, he didn't recruit me. Uh, when, when you were coming out of high school, what was your status as a junior uh, in terms of the pro? You mentioned Kent State. Were you among the, the, the five to ten best players in the state of Texas coming out of oh, high school? No. Not even, not even close. I was hardly talked to by any schools, really. Um, you know, playing, I didn't play a lot of AJGAs. I started to my senior year in high school, and so I got on the map a little bit. Uh, I basically I got an offer from OU and from Texas Tech because of my swing coach, Randy Smith. Um, who made some calls for me, which was super nice. Um, North Texas was interested, which was like 20 minutes from Pilot Point. And then some small, you know, like Division II schools and stuff like that. But I'll never forget, you know, I played the Byron Nelson Junior Invitational down at Lakewood Country Club in Dallas and played pretty well both years. But I one day just got an e email from Coach Jay Lore said, hey, I watched you tee off on the first hole. I think you got some potential. Um, what do you think about coming to SMU? So I went down and met with him and the assistant coach, Todd Harris, um, or Tom Harris. And, you know, I was supposed to go to OU, I think, the next week for, for a look and canceled. Just knew that SMU was a perfect fit for me. It was 10 minutes away from Randy, which I had just started working with him for about eight months. And I knew if I wanted to, you know, take this seriously and try to make a profession out of it, I wanted to be by Randy Smith. Um, he was a huge, huge role in that. And I tell kids this all the day, like, Playing college golf, it doesn't really matter where you go. It's not like you you don't have to get the exposure. You don't get drafted because no matter what, you have to go out and perform. And whether it's go to Q school or be good enough to get sponsor exemptions, you got to go to a college where you know you can play. I mean, you're, it's cool to say you played golf at Oklahoma State, but if you never get in the lineup, it's no big deal. And I've seen a lot of guys really struggle when they leave their swing coach. You know, they go they go across the country to a college and, and they, they lose their game. I was lucky enough that every day after class, if I wanted – I could go over to Royal Oaks Country Club and work with Randy. And I mean, that was a huge part of my success. When did you feel, was there, was there a tournament? Was there a semester? 
uh, that you felt like you made a big leap because what you did before you left SMU and turned professional is historic. When you're in a, you're in a conversation with the likes of Jay Siegel, who's one of the great career amateurs, before he eventually you know decided he was going to play a little professional golf after 50, and Bobby Jones, that's tall cotton. I mean, was was there a time that you made a big leap? I would say, yeah. I mean, I was one of those guys that I just got better every single year. Like I remember my first round of qualifying for SMU, we had like we were carrying like 14 guys and only five guys make it to the first tournament. And I shot 77 the first round in qualifying. I'm like, I'm in so far over my head. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And throughout that qualifying process, I kept going, kept going, kept going. And I actually made the first tournament and I never missed a tournament my entire college career, which was something I was really proud of. Cause I mean, you can have down times here where you struggle and I never was out of the lineup once, but I would say my junior year, um, is when I really, really started to believe, like, you know, I'm, I'm getting good at this. I might be able to compete. I, I, I think I won twice my junior year. And then my senior year, just everything clicked. Uh, I won the first three tournaments of the year in the fall at SMU. And then that carried over to just – I didn't have a – I didn't finish outside the top ten until regionals. Um, so, I mean, I basically played 12 straight events where I top ten every week. I think I won four. Um, but then I, I Monday qualified for the Byron Nelson, and that's when everything changed for me. Uh, I, I was playing so good, you know, going into that Monday qualifier, I told Randy I was going to make it. I just, I, I knew I was. And I went out there and I shot 64 and got in a playoff with Michael Allen and a guy Mike, named Michael Boyd that turned on, uh, that was on tour for a little bit. And I birdied the first playoff hole, got in, you know, obviously was so excited um, to pl play in a PGA Tour event. I, you know, it's something I dreamed of, especially the Byron Nelson, which is the first PGA Tour event I've ever, att I ever attended. Uh, I mean, I was 12 years old and Tiger signed my hat. I'll never, I'll never forget it. Um, but to go out there, and that's when we still played Cottonwood and TPC for the Byron Nelson when I was over at Las Colinas. Went out, could hardly get the ball on the tee. You know, the first round shot 74, which is, it's the easier course of the two. And then I went over to Four Seasons Friday and just was like, you know what? Might as well enjoy it. And I went out and was shot 64 with a bogey on the last hole. Was in, I think, 10th place going into the weekend. And didn't really play that great on the weekend, but that just that changed everything for me. Knowing that, I mean, I shot the low round of the tournament at a PGA Tour event when I was in college, and it was just it was so cool. And that just that's what set me going. I mean, that summer then I played so great. Obviously, winning the three the three titles, but I mean, I played well at the Porter Cup, the Northeast Am, the Western Am. I mean, every single one of those big ones, I, I was a factor, and it was just. I mean, that, that that's one of the reasons like people question my decision to turn pro. Yeah instead of waiting for the masters, which I know is something we, we always get into. But when you look at it the way I was like, I had played basically a year straight where I top 10 every single week I played, no matter what it was. Like I was just so consistent playing so great. My stock was as high as it was ever going to be after the, we won the Walker cup. And I, you know, I got the opportunity to turn professional playing three PGA tour events that fall. And I was like, man, I honestly believe I can go out and contend right away. Like my game is in good a form. Like what, if I wait till like April, what could happen? And so that was what a lot of what went into my decision was I was just, I was riding a high and I didn't want to stop. Yeah. By virtue of obviously you mentioned the three titles. Uh, and again, uh, that, that is the company, the company of Jones and Siegel winning the three USGA titles in a year. Uh, you win the Publinks, you win the U.S. Amateur, you're on a victorious Walker Cup team. You went 2-0-2 in that Walker Cup. Let me ask you this way, uh, regarding the decision to, to forego the exemptions into, into majors the following year, starting obviously with the Masters. If NIL existed then, in 2007, 
and the, let's say the money was what I think it's, it's going to be like and kind of is already now, which I think is going to keep some college golfers playing college golf for maybe another year, uh, would maybe things have been different? Uh, I think 100%. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, if I would have gotten the money I did to stay in an amateur or stay in, in college, I mean, I was done with college, but I mean, to stay, if I had the opportunity to stay as an amateur and make the money I did that I did, got to turn professional. Yeah. That's a total game changer. I mean, the only thing I've ever wanted to do growing up was play in the masters. There's no doubt, but at the same time, I know there's a decision to move forward. What's best for me, what's best for my family. And, you know, I, I wasn't doing this for one tournament. I was doing this for a career and, and I was ready to go. Um, you know, I didn't play the way I wanted, but I went out and got on the corn Ferry tour and won twice, you know, really early there. And so, I mean, everything was going in the right direction. Um, you know, it just, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to, but hell man, I'm having the time of my life doing what I'm doing now. No, I, I know you are. And I, I want to get to something you said probably within the last six months or so, which I, I appreciated the fact that you said it, but before we get to kind of the pivot in your career, when you start, when you turn professional and you win right away, like you did, it's interesting. I, I don't know who it was over the weekend that I was talking to as a major champion who said he thought it was harder to win on the Corn Ferry Tour than it was on the PGA Tour because you got to shoot nothing. And there's there's a sense of, of you know, almost not borderline recklessness, but but arrogance with the way you have to play. Because, you know, you have to shoot 2,500 every week mm -hmm. and you win twice and you get your card. Did you did you ever have any crisis of confidence early on when you got there for whatever reason? I would say, you know, if I could go back and do it all over again, like I was a hard worker. And when I had the success in 07, then I went to the Corn Ferry and won twice. I think I finished sixth on the money list, only playing like 18 or 19 events because I was playing six events on the PGA Tour as well that that first season. You know, everything was coming so easy. You know, I had the historical 07. I win twice on the Corn Ferry Tour. I'm going to the PGA Tour. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to go out and win on the PGA Tour. And this is going to be the start of a long career. And I stopped working the way I used to. That's the only thing I, I regret. I was having weight. I mean, there's, as you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on on the PGA Tour. There's a lot of distractions that a young yes, guy really likes, likes to enjoy. And I, you know, I got caught up in that a little bit too much, I would say. You know, that's the one thing I regret is that, you know, I didn't, I didn't work the way I did in college in my first year on the Corn Ferry Tour when I got to the PGA Tour at first. And that's the one thing that probably I'll, will always eat at me a little bit. But you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I had a terrible rookie year. Um, but then finally, slowly, you know, after a couple of seasons, started to get comfortable out there. You, um, you know, it, it, look, the, the idea of getting distracted, how guys don't is pretty mm -hmm. extraordinary to some degree. And, and some yeah. guys get, you know, more distracted than others. Did you not did you not feel or maybe you didn't do this at all, um, getting around veterans, getting around people who would tell you, hey, don't, don't, you know, Monday night, I get it. Tuesday and mm -hmm. Wednesdays. Did you ever appeal to anybody who was a senior peer that you could have said, hey, man, I, you know, advice. I'll take any and at all times. Uh, yeah, I had some, obviously, some advice from those guys. And I had some guys that I didn't ask for it pull me aside. You know, Justin Leonard's always been fantastic to me. You know, he grew up with Randy Smith. Um, he kind of took me under his wing when I, when I got out there. And there was one point where it's like, hey, yeah, let's, Let's clean it up a little bit. You know, you, you got a great opportunity out here. You know, this this tour card, if you don't perform, you don't just get it right back. Like, you got to go back to where you were, and I know you don't want to do that. So, yeah, I, I've leaned on a lot of guys over the years. You know, I mean, even VJ Singh, I played a lot of practice rounds with him. Love picking his brain. I mean, 
people don't know it. VJ's a funny man. And uh, we had, he loves to gamble on the golf course like I do. We had some great battles, great trash talking. But I always, I always leaned on those veterans. You know, I, I, like I said, I had a great support system. I mean, Phil Mickelson was a guy that reached out to me when I was getting ready to turn pro and trying to figure out the decision. And he's always been, same thing, just awesome, so supportive. I mean, I, he texted me during my rookie year. I was like, hey, I know you're not off to the start you want to, but you're good enough to win out here. Just relax and go play. And, like, you don't have to do those things. It's just it's, – it's so nice. But that's how it is out here on the PGA Tour, I think, a lot. I mean, people don't – I know it's an individual game, but there's – people got big support systems out here, even though I don't think you see it day in and day out. No, I, Colt, I think, look, I, I think some something that, that people, and look, they, they shouldn't be spending a lot of time thinking about what's the environment like, but the reality is, is that it is a nomadic existence. You're out there alone, and you can identify with everybody else because they whether they have kids yet or not, or they have a girlfriend or a fiancé or a wife, it's lonely as hell. And, oh, yeah. and it can be very, very lonely, and the only people who can understand it are the guys you're competing against. So as much as you can say, well, it's, it, you know, once the tournament starts, it's cutthroat. Yeah, but, but there's a lot of compassion that I see, and I saw it Sunday. I was in the, I was in the Tulsa airport and saw Mito Pereira make double, and, and mm -hmm. it felt like half the field in Colonial was on my flight to Dallas because they were, and, and all of them. I could see their body language. They know there was, there was nothing but compassion for what he was dealing with over the course of that 20 minutes. And I think there's a lot of that out there. You're exactly right. I mean, you see it. I see. It, I think you see it more today than even back when, you know, Tiger was on his run, like the guys waiting for guys behind 18 when they're, when they're winning and stuff like that. I mean, you go back to Sunday, I was, I had Justin Thomas's group coming in and I was told to stay next to him when he went to the range and all that. So I didn't get to see the, I could hear the dub, him making double, but I didn't get to see it. But I ran up, ran into the locker room real quick before we went out for the playoff and I'm walking out. And in came um, Abe Answer, Joaquin Neiman, and Sebastian Munoz are obviously all very, very close. And like you said, I mean, you could see. Like I walked by him, I was like, "Sorry, guys." Like I didn't know what to say. Like you could just see they were they were hurting for him. And uh, you know, it's it's sad to see, but it's cool to see at the same time that these guys care that much for their friends. You you mentioned a few minutes ago about getting hurt. When you mm -hmm. when you start dealing with injury, at, at what point? Did you start to, to think about your own mortality as, as a touring professional? Yeah, it was, it was, it, it was interesting because, like, 2015, I finally played pretty, pretty solid. Um, you know, I had, I think, top 10s, and then I got sixth, and I started playing really, really well. Uh, that's where I attended at the player. Um, had a few other top fives that season. Um, was sitting in the best position going into the playoffs I ever had. And I started feeling some pain in my left thumb. And... You know, I didn't really think anything of it. Had it looked at a couple of times, it was no big deal. Just some inflammation, just needed to slow things down a little bit. Um, but I was playing so well, I didn't want to do anything to it. So I kept playing, kept playing. And listen, I don't I don't hit it very far as it is. I was one of the shortest guys out there, but I noticed the club head speed kept going down and down and down. And I'm like, we got a problem. And so I got misdiagnosed with my, with my thumb injury, actually. They went in and looked at my wrist and said it was bad. So they cleaned it up, was out nine months. Uh, that's when I think I did the golf channel thing. Came back, hit a shot at Byron Nelson on the range and felt something in the thumb. And I was like, this is this is not good. Went to a guy here in Dallas. He looked at it and he's like, dude, whoever told you there's nothing wrong with your thumb? We got a, we got a problem. Like uh, your UCL ligament's pretty much completely torn. And that's where I, the thing that had been bothering me the most was the thumb. That's the same injury that like Paula Kramer and Anthony Kim dealt with. It's a popular injury for golfers. There's a lot of stress on the left thumb. So went in again, I had to sit out another nine months. You know, and then come back and 
it was frustrating. You know, I mean, I basically played, you know, felt like 10 events in two years, which it's just so hard to sit out that long and come back and compete at the best level. And so I knew when that medical exemption was running out, things were, things were not looking good for the golf career, but you know, I was fortunate enough during that time when I was hurt to, to do a week at the golf channel, to do a couple of events with, you know, CBS and golf channel uh, in the booth, um, got the Sirius XM show started thanks to Scott Greenstein um, over at Sirius XM. And, you know, things were starting to take off. You know, we were, we were getting talked about quite a bit with our show. And then we started the podcast subpar. And um, I also got, I mean, I, I, I did the PGA championship at, at Harding Park. And this is pretty much when I knew I was I was done with the game of golf. Um, and I asked Mike McQuaid, I was doing the ESPN stuff. I was like, can you let me go down on the ground one time? I've never done it. I would I would, I would love to be roaming the fairways. And he said, let's do it. And from the second I went on air that day, I knew that's where I belonged. And I got to thank him for, you know, letting me let me do that, because it's been just a total game changer for me. Yeah, that was the quote I was I was talking about when you said uh, pretty recently, within the last six months or so, you did an interview with somebody and you said, I, I felt like what I'm doing now was what I was born to do. And and before we get to, to all of those things that you've, you've got going on and, and the trajectory is is steep and impressive. I, I, I wanted to mention this because it's, you know, when you face, like it's the only thing you wanted to do and you, and you were able to fulfill that dream and you don't know how long it's going to last. And I, I did the Carolina Panthers uh, preseason TV for, for four seasons and Jake DeLone was a quarterback at the time. And he, you know, he almost won a Super Bowl, lost a hell of a Super Bowl to the New England Patriots. And, and one preseason at training camp, they had a very good, strong safety. His name was Mike Minter, went to Nebraska, good player. And his career ended after eight years. And, and he was bone on bone with his knee. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking in, in his retirement uh, press conference, I'm looking at DeLome in the back of the room, and he's got his head hanging. When it's over, I said, you know, why were you in here? He said, one, he's a teammate, and two, I always want to remind myself that I'm not guaranteed anything. This could end at any moment. Now, we know about the violence of football, but when it's the only thing you've ever known, did you worry at any point, like, Jesus, what am I going to do here? Before oh. those opportunities started yeah. to come, did you go, I, I really don't know what I'm going to do? 100%. I mean, I, I, I always say this. I think, you know, whether you consider me an athlete or not, <laughs> I, I played a professional sport, but I don't think any of us ever have a plan B. You know, it's I'm going to go out, I'm going to be successful, and I'm going to do it until for a very long time. And then I'm going to ride off into the sunset. What well, obviously ended quicker than I thought it would. And so there was a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I had to make that decision. Do I want to go down a path that I've never done before? I mean, I've never done any media stuff. That's not me. All I've been is on the other side. So that was that was scary. It was either that or I go back to the Corn Ferry Tour and try to grind it out down there to get back to the PGA Tour. So, yeah, that was tough. I mean, that that last event in Phoenix, I mean, it was crazy emotional. I mean, there's because it's it's over, you know. And I made I made that choice to go to this side, which I'm super happy with now. But at the end, and it, it still is like knowing that it's over. It sucks. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's, you know, again, people go, God, you know how they you know, I don't know why they can't adjust. What are you talking about? They're 30 years old. It's oh. the only thing they've ever known. Yeah. And it may be a little bit longer for others. And I and, and there's you're seeing more and more of of these docu-series and, and the examinations of the athlete. And and Andy Roddick was on Jay Billis's show here on, on Five Clubs and, and he said, What like all I was thinking was like, what's next? 
Like, you don't yeah. know, like, what is next? Regardless of how successful you've been, but you are a fan. Did you watch a lot of golf on television? And if you did, what was your impressions? Did you, did you think, it's pretty good, it could be, you know, everything can always be better? What were your thoughts about the way that golf was presented? I'm, I'm a huge fan, and I watch every tournament, every weekend. You know, I mean, that's, that's just what I do. I mean, that's what I grew up. I love golf. I want to watch my friends play well. So, yeah. I did. And, you know, I, I love the broadcast. I mean, when Faraday and McCord were together, I just, I loved it. I'm a huge fan of those guys. And I mean, those two are the guys that really have helped me a lot. That's true. I mean, Gary McCord's a member at Whisper Rock. I've talked to him about it. I'll never forget the first one I did was at Riviera and they had me in 16 tower and I had no clue what I was doing. I mean, there was no prep. It's, I mean, you know, it's sink or swim. It's like, here's a headset. Let's see what you got. And he pulled me aside. He goes, what are you doing? And I was like, what? He's like, that was not you on there today. He goes, be you. Show me something. You know these guys. Give me something. And, it's, and that was a big pep, pep talk for me. Um, you know, it's people always think that I think they can do they think they can do TV and then the red light goes on and you you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, just because you got a great personality in the locker room doesn't mean it's going to carry over to TV. So I've like I said, I was always a big fan of those two guys. When they got separated, I thought it was bad for golf. Um, it just totally really agree. was the, the entertainment factor kind of went away and Gary McCord, one of the best to ever do it. I mean, he's different. That's what makes him great. It's either you love him or you hate him, but he was different. And that's what made things great. He has always told me, you know, the broadcast has got to be like, like a sitcom, right? If, if all five people in the show are the exact same person, it's going to suck. Like, it's just, there's nothing there. You got to have different characters. And so I think we're starting to get that way now. Like, obviously I'm different than anybody else on our team. And I think that's what makes it more successful. Um, you know, I try to bring some energy, try to bring some humor. And I've been out there and I know these guys as well as anybody. So I've always been a big fan of past players going over and doing it because they they know what it's like. They know what it feels like coming down the stretch. Now, I've never contended for a major, but I know what that Mito, I know what Mito Pereira was feeling on that 18th tee sure. trying to win a golf tournament. And you saw him make a golf swing that he's never made in his life before. I mean, it. That, that thing was, that was terrifying what I saw on 18. I mean, the way he went through the golf ball, I'm like, he's never done that in his life, but that's what shows you what the pressure does to these guys. No I question. Mean, it's, it's fascinating to me. Like I wish the people at home could understand like what he was feeling in that moment. Uh, no doubt. I I'm right there with you. I've always been that, that is, you know, my, my curiosity with, with athletics, my dad was a very good athlete, played college baseball at a high level, got me into sports. And when I topped off physically, when I was about nine, um, I, I, I started to just observe and it was, it was performance. It was achievement, how they do it, how they keep things slow and everything around them is getting really, really fast. And what happened to him on 18, somebody made the observation. I guess there was a guy standing there. He said, he looks like he just got electrocuted because he probably felt like he just got electrocuted because, because yeah. that is what happens. I, I want to go through. The, the progression of these entities that you have that you're building and have helped to build. And let's start with gravy and the sleaze. Let's start with <laughs> with the radio program, because the two of you, it's 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 such a perfect yet odd combination uh, mm -hmm. between a guy who who achieved everything as an amateur played on the PGA Tour and a guy who obviously was a good player. Uh, and you both can run smack as well as anybody. Um, but it's different. How did how did Drew Stoltz and Colt Nost get married on the radio? 
So, you know, he went to TCU. I went to SMU. We were there at the same time. So we knew each other. We weren't best of friends or anything like that. But when I decided to move out to Scottsdale while I was still playing and join Whisperock, he was a member there. And it was just, I mean, you, there was two voices on the range at all times, <laughs> me and him. And if you ever got paired with us, I think you hated it. You damn sure didn't want to play us together because we just wore you out verbally um, and just drove everyone nuts. And we always talked about possibly doing something one day if, if it if it worked, but we needed that opportunity. Like neither of us were smart enough just to go out and be able to start our own podcast or anything like that. And so when I was in L.A. doing the TV for Golf Channel, I got a phone call from Scott Greenstein, who's president of Sirius XM. And he's like, I'm in L.A. I've heard a lot about you. I want to meet you. I said, sure, love to. So we went into the dining area at Riviera Country Club, sat down, talked for 10 minutes with him and his wife. He goes, I'm going to give you a show. And I'm like, wow, well, that was fast. I don't even know if I want to do this or whatever, but all right, we'll give it a try. And I was like, can I, can I bring somebody on or do you want it to be me? He's like, it's your show. Do whatever you want. And I said, all right. So got in the car, was driving back to the hotel, super excited, called Drew and said, I got us a show. Um, we're going to start the week of the masters. I believe was our first, first episode. And we started out one day a week on a Monday for an hour and about two months in, they're like, we want more. And so then we started agreeing to go to three days a week for two hours. You know, they wanted us to go to five days a week, which just doesn't work with my schedule, but it's just crazy. It's, it's just taken off and it's been so much. I mean, I tell everybody, I was like, you know, I'm getting paid. I wake up in the morning, I make a coffee, I go up to the office, Drew comes over, we put the headset on and we basically just sit and talk for two hours and we get paid for it. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous to, to think about it. And I love it so much. Um, it's a, it's a blast. I mean, he is just, he's crazy. You, you know him. I mean, he's one of the wittiest people I've ever been around. In he, my life. he is, he really is. And, and, and it could have been the, the, the dynamic could have been, and I was dying lousy. And as I, as I told him uh, yesterday before I was, I was doing a show that was following his and you, you were, you had the day off because uh, you were, you were at Taylor Gooch's foundation event and I said, I, I have never, I, since Ben Crenshaw is in contention anywhere, uh, I have never humped a USGA.com website like I did for the yeah. four ball last week. Uh, had he won, he would have joined you as a year as three-time USGA champion. And I could just hear him. I could hear him going until the end of time saying, and joining us now as a fellow USGA champion, Rory McIlroy, uh, mm -hmm. in that he was denied that. No, no, he was gutted about it. Um, but you guys do have something. And I just to peel back a layer, you mentioned Scott Greenstein. I worked full-time at Sirius in 09 and 10 doing the morning show on Mad Dog Radio, and I also did PGA Tour Radio. And Scott at that time was ambivalent about the PGA Tour Radio channel. And I was like, God, he doesn't get it. And now everything's changed. He's a yeah. complete maniac about golf. And, <laughs> yeah. and the most important thing is I've told Taylor Zarzu who runs the channel, and this was a couple of years ago before you guys started, because I would drive into Golf Channel. I'm like, why don't they have enough? They don't have enough tour players on a channel that is their brand. And now you guys get everybody because of your relationships, and you've totally changed the, the, what people are hearing now. It used to be, it, it, Cole, it wasn't like that. You know that. Yeah. No, it's, it, it has. And I mean, whether that's because of us or whatever, I don't know. My whole deal is, you know, I listen to the channel when I'm in the car quite a bit. And my whole deal, I tell Sleaze all the time. And I tell all the guys that serious, like, I don't want to be like any of the other shows. Like I want to be different. I want to stand apart. Cause I mean, 
we can turn on all the shows when they're recapping Justin Thomas's win at the PGA Championship. A, pro, a lot of it, we're all going to say the same thing. So let's make it fun. Let's make it different. I mean, we try to, and we get these guys on who they do their interviews on TV and they're so buttoned up and they don't let anything go. And I'm like, here we are. We got 15 minutes with these guys on Sirius XM where they can say whatever the hell they want. Like, let's show that they have some personality. Let's let's reveal some stuff about them that people don't know. Nothing bad, just to show that they're humans that are just really, really good at a sport. That's what I tell people. Like, like we had Jordan Spieth on our podcast one time, and we video it just like y'all do here. And he had three beers. And some guys like, I cannot believe he was drinking. I'm like, at the time, he's it was a 27-year-old kid from Texas. What do you think he does in an off week? Like, <laughs> just because he's Jordan Spieth, you know, the golden child, the poster boy for American golf, like dude, he's a kid from Texas. I mean, that's all we know. Like you, you have an off week, you're sitting there talking with your boys, you have some beers. Exactly. Who cares? It, yeah. Exactly. He's just way better at a sport than all y'all are. He still likes to do everything that y'all do. <laughs> the, so, um, man, the, you mentioned yeah. the podcast. Um, it, it, to me, you know, I'm so glad you guys have it because look, you, you get these 10, 12 minute hits that you get with everybody in the game on gravy and the sleaze, but, but what you've done through the subpar podcast with what I think is, you know, you get some jet fuel with, with golf and golf.com. Um, and I asked you last week, I said, did they give you the autonomy to do what you want? And you said they do. Did that start from the beginning? No, they did not. And I'm very comfortable in saying that there was a lot of things, you know, it started out with, and, we, and we've changed, you know, people behind the scenes quite a bit, but I mean, it started out where, they were trying to get us to answer, ask certain questions. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. And they wanted us to go a certain way with, with interviews. And, you know, a lot of it was, you know, bleeping things out. They wanted it to be very, very clean. I mean, I get it. Golf.com is a very clean brand. That's fine. But in today's world, the things that people like to hear is just unfiltered. I mean, we, we want to just see these guys, let it go and, and, and have fun. And it took a little bit, but we finally got it to where, yeah, you can just, it's, we get the guest, we sit down, we interview them, they edit it. And there we go. Um, it's, it's up to us now, which, which, which I like, you know, I, I, I want these guys or girls, whoever they are, when they come into our studio and sit down with us, I don't want them to even think there's a microphone in front of them. I don't want to think there's a camera in front of them. I just want to sit down and talk. And most of the time we have a cocktail and we just dive into their lives and what's going on with them and figure it out. At the end of the day, they're like, man, that was fun. That was just a conversation. And that's all I want this thing to be. Because, I mean, we can ask, you know, all this, all this golf stuff that gets kind of boring, in my opinion. I want to know, I want to know about you. I want to know what, like, what do you do when we don't see you out there? Like, we see Justin Thomas is crazy intense on the golf course, and he's focused, and he's one of the best in the world, and he's going to continue to win majors. But we got an off week. What's it like? You know, what do you, what do, you do at night when you're hanging out? Like, I, I, I want to know these things. Um, and, that's what, and that's what I think the, the world wants to know, too. I mean, they're fans of these guys, but they don't really know them. And so I think it's it's cool for us to give, you know, a different different perspective. You know, one of the things you guys have done, which, again, I greatly appreciate, is that there is connective tissue from, to people who, who have done other things at a very, very high level to the game of golf. And that's you've identified those people. And, yeah, you're out there in an area and, and you mentioned Whisperock. It's like fishing with dynamite, the number of people <laughs> who've been high achievers in a lot of other areas that are members there. But, but you want to have those conversations. Mark Grace, who you had on recently, 
Brilliant interview. And it was a conversation, like you said. Sean McDonough, who's a broadcaster, and anybody who, who listens to him, he's as good as anybody who has ever done it. But yep. away from his job, he is wide-ass open. And, and again, those conversations, you are humanizing people who people don't know that much about. Did you mm -hmm. realize that that fertile ground existed? I did, because I know, like, the few times that I did get interviewed when I played well, you know, everyone told me how great of an interview I was because I would let it go. I would open up and tell you what I think. I mean, you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer. And so I, I knew I could get this out. Of, like, it's not digging dirt up or anything, but I knew I could get these guys to relax and open up with me because they trust me. You know, I've had a great relationship with them. I've played golf alongside them. I know a lot of things that a lot of other people don't. And I knew that if I could just convince these guys that, hey, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great for your brand. This isn't just great for us. This is great for you. I mean, our first episode was John Rahm, and we got him to rap a Kendrick Lamar song. And it's just <laughs> it's just a game changer. I mean, there he is. All we know him is, is John Rahm, the great golfer who's going to go on and be a superstar. But here he's really funny, and he just rapped on a, on a show. Like, that's probably got to think his team's got to be like, oh, dear God, what is happening right now? <laughs> but, you know, at the end, it's just, man, I'm telling you, these guys – they're really, really fun. And most of them have such big personalities. They just don't get the opportunity to show it. No, they don't. And, and I also think the environment and who they're talking to, there, there is, you've engendered a level of trust that, that you mentioned David Faraday's name. I, there is nobody since David that, it, that can bust balls the way that you do with these mm -hmm. guys because there's, there's a genuine relationship there. And I think it's very valuable to the viewer. Uh, whether it be whether it be on on your podcast on the subpar podcast or on the radio show Gravy in the Sleeves, but most importantly, to the broader viewer who watches golf, and here's here's where it gets to where it can be tricky at times. Being critical of people you know, and also Colt being critical of people that that you know, it's not a question of effort, but execution in this game is fickle. I mean, it 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 it's ha it happens a lot for the best. But it, it fails at the most critical juncture. Is it hard to be critical? Yes and no. Like, that's one thing, you know, that's a question that gets asked a lot. And it gets asked of everybody. You know, I go back to Charles Barkley, who, I, in my opinion, is the most entertaining TV analyst in the world of sports. Like, I love him. I've picked his brain. He's been awesome to me. And he always says, he goes, you know, it's so funny. Like, I go on TV every night during the playoffs or whatever. And I tell these guys how great they are. Pretty much 95% of the time. But when they mess up, I call them out. And they call me. And they yell at me. And I said, why don't you call and thank me when I praise you the 95% of the time? Like, all I'm doing is my job up here. Like, you messed up. You know it. I know it. The world knows it. Why can't I call it out? That's what I'm getting paid to do. He goes, but I think it's really unfair that I don't get thanked for praising you. <laughs> so as far as the game of golf goes, like, listen, I've played at the highest level. I know I didn't win but I still know what it takes to win. I know what these guys are going through. I've hit those shots. And so I feel like it's very, very fair for me if I want to criticize, if I think the time is right to criticize them. And I hope that we have a good enough friendship that they're not going to get upset about that. You know, I, I remember one of the first ones I was doing it, I was walking with Rory McIlroy, who's, I mean, I, 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 I said on air this weekend, I said, if I had any hair left, I think I would pull it out because he drives me absolutely nuts watching him play golf. It's at 350 down the middle of every fairway. I'm like, you should win every week. It's ridiculous where you play from. It's not, it's not even fair. But he's, we all know he struggles with his short irons. And 
we're at Memphis one year and he's just driving it like a God, like he always does and hits the just worst wedges I've ever seen. And I was like, I'm pretty sure he hits his three wedge straighter and he hits his lob wedge. And he went back and watched the broadcast and heard it. I'm on the range the next day and he walks by me and he looks at me and he goes, so I hit my three wedge straighter in my lob wedge, huh? And gave me a slap on the butt with his club. And I was like, <laughs> I just kind of smiled. And he goes, you're right. And he laughed and walked away, which Rory's one of the nicest in the world. But, you know, I just, I think it's part of my job and I hope these guys understand that it's nothing mean. I mean, I, I like Charles. I, I'm amazed every time I walk out there and watch these guys play golf. Like it's just a whole nother, whole nother level. It's like, I, I bring up Justin Thomas and we talked about Mito Pereira, how it looked like he got electrocuted there on 18. And you said how great the greats are at slowing things down. And that's the one thing. If you watch that final round, I mean, the touch shots that guy hit coming oh. down the stretch. The, I know it's 79-yard lob wedge, which is routine for these guys in the first playoff hole, but off a downhill lie, right to left win, you know, thousands of people around the green, the pressure of winning a major championship, for him just to take that nice, long, slow swing, skip it in there to seven to six feet, when most of the time your adrenaline's coming, you come over the top, you get on top of you, pull it long left, 30 feet. Like, it's just so impressive to watch, man. It is. Uh, I got to ask you, uh, you mentioned Rory. Uh, I was told that Sunday at one point, and this was obviously not on air, uh, you said something to the effect of, if, if, if I drove it where you did, it would have just been me and Tiger. And his response was, fuck you, Colt. <laughs> I don't know if it was exactly that. But I was like, my God, if I drove it where you did, I, I wouldn't be carrying this damn microphone around right now. I'll tell you that. I mean, it's just, it's, it really is. It's silly. Like, he, and he's one of the best. Like he, he talks to me going up now pretty much every fairway. Like yeah. it's, it's awesome. And we we're going back and forth at it. And I'm like, can we play a scramble together sometime? I mean, this would be so much fun. Like he's hitting number nine at uh, Southern Hills. He drove it over the crosswalk both days, which that crosswalk is there because there's not going to be any golf balls up there. That's why they let the people walk there. And he's flying it over. I said, the gallery didn't even have to stop when Rory was hitting. They could have kept on walking because it just flew over their damn head. It is, uh, it, it's just, it's silly, man. The guy is so talented and he's so nice. I just, I, I love the guy. But yeah, we draw back and forth a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, and that's the thing about it is that, you know, when when you are as balanced uh, as you're not trying to be, you just are. But it is funny. J Jay Billis was just sitting in this seat interviewing Marty Smith. And I, the number of times he's told me about coaches texting him like, what, you know, and he's like, really? Really? I have praised you upside and down. Yeah. And the one time that I'm critical of a set you run and I get a text, like, where are all the texts when I'm, when I'm saying you're, you're one of the best in the game? But that's, that's, I mean, the rabbit ears are not for the compliments. It's for the critiques. Oh. But these guys like to lie to everybody and say, oh, when I'm, when I'm not playing, I'm I not don't watching. listen. Oh, bullshit. You watch every single second of it because you know that's why you know what I said. But, you know, go, just the relationship I have with these guys is awesome. One of my favorite things that has happened so far, you know, in my short career was at the Byron Nelson just a few weeks ago. We're going out Friday afternoon. And, you know, the groupings are not that great except for Dustin Johnson, Xander Shoffley, and Kevin Kisner. And they're none of them are playing good. It's like Dustin shot 500 the first day, but they're two over. They're all two over the second day going into the eighth hole. And so I'm like, what are we going to do? Like there's no one's playing good. Everybody else is shooting 15 under par. So I'm standing on the eighth tee getting ready to go on air. And here they all come onto the tee. And I said, listen, guys, it's hot as shit out here. I got all this equipment on. I ain't doing this to watch some bad golf. I need y'all to turn this thing around right now. And they all start laughing. We had a great time. They all get hot.
start making crazy amount of birdies. Xander makes a 15 footer, looks back at me and just gives me the finger after it goes in and says, let's go. And he went on to birdie eight of the next 10 holes or whatever, and almost won the golf tournament after being eight shots off the cut line, you know, with 15 holes to play Friday. You know, I, I've people who, you know, dip their toe in the water. And there's been a lot of people over the years who came into the studios would do a week. They were injured, whatever at the crossroads. And I always thought to myself, I would never say that to, to people who had done it, but to people I work with, you either can or you can't. And, and, and you and it's not that you can't get better at doing television. You have to have the gift of gab and you have that. And that's great. But the thing that kind of threw me over the top thinking, wow, he's going to really be good at this was that the farmers and the farmers, I think it was last year and you were out on the golf course and you've got chatter in your ear. And I, and the, and the people who don't know the dynamics of television for people who are out on a golf course, you, all you got is voices and, and, and they're not necessarily clear all the time. And then basically you got about eight and a half seconds to make a damn point and get the hell out until the next time they, they're, they're ready to tee you up. You either can or you can't do that. Did you feel comfortable right away in the environment of soundbite television? I did. I really did. Once I got on the ground, I did. Now, in the booth, I didn't when I first did it first because I didn't know what was going on. Obviously, there's stuff happening. You're, you're responsible for way more groups. When I got on the ground and knew I had these three guys or these two guys to focus on, and I can start thinking of stories that I've had with them or what they're good at, what they're not good at, and the fact that I get to look at a shot and assess it as a player. Like, I've been here. I know what they're going to do. Um, I felt comfortable immediately. The um, the byplay that you have with Faldo, not easy. Um, I mean, he is Sir Nick, and yeah. and but but there is he he there, you can tell he's amused. You can tell he's engaged. And and again, you're not sitting next to him. You're down there, and and right away you had you had a vibe with him. Did you feel before you did it, whether you had spent a little time with him, gone out, had a drink, had dinner, did you feel like there was going to be something there with you and him? No, honestly, I didn't. You know, I mean, I think people that know him, I mean, he's he's an interesting character. He's he's different, um, but it's been great. Like, we are very, very different people, obviously, and I think that's why it works. But, you know, Nick's hard to peel back. You, you don't get it. You don't get the inside info with him. So we hadn't spent a whole lot of time together or anything. It was just, here we go. And Jim Rickoff, who's legendary producer at CBS, does all the football, does golf part of the time. He said, listen, if you're going to go down, go down in flames. Like, just give me everything you got. Throw it out there. And I was like, all right. So one day I was like, I'm going to take a little shot. Because Nick pokes fun at me all the time about being fat and being bald and all this. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not scared to take a shot back at you. You might've been better at golf than me, but you, that doesn't mean you know more about golf than me. Like you're just better at it. So I feel like I can hold my own when it comes to talking golf. So he said something one day and I took a shot right back at him and it kind of piqued his interest. I think I was like, okay, this guy's not, not scared. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it's been awesome. And he, I mean, after that started to happen, we'd go off camera and he's like, Hey, let, I like this. Let's, let's keep doing this. Um, so he's been a big support supporter of mine and, um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I respect the hell of what he, he did as a golfer. I mean, there's not many that had a better career than he does, did. But like I said, uh, I, this it's a, it's a show. So let's have some fun with it. And then Nance, you know, you're not working with a, a, a living legend who's in twilight. First of all, the guy was doing the Masters when he was 26. He's, mm -hmm. he's one of the most important voices in the history of the medium. And he's still in his prime. What is it? What is it like to to work with somebody who has the profile 
and the, and the resume of Jim Nance. I can't believe I get to do it. <laughs> Honestly, like it's just, it's that cool. I mean, I grew up listening to him, obviously, whether it's golf, football, NCAA, whatever it is, it was Jim Nance. I mean, he's, in my opinion, I mean, he's the best to ever do it. Um, you know, there's a, there's a couple other guys up there that you could com compare to him, but it's unreal. I never, the first time he ever sent it down to me was at the PGA Championship last year at Kiowa, and I'm like, holy shit, I cannot believe Jim Nash just said, Colt, what do you what do you what do you got down there? Like, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, he is he's just he he's a polarizing figure too, and for him to be as great to me as he's been, I mean, he's we've we've had dinner, we've had talks, and it's just been so cool and so special. I mean he's like, he's the best. It's just so hard to describe. Like I, I can't believe I get to work alongside him. Um, and he, he loves it. I mean, we, we, we text back and forth all the time about things and he, he's got a great personality, a great sense of humor. He's witty. Um, it's, it, it's a treat and I'm so lucky. A couple of things, but I know you've got a show to do. I've got to get you out of here, but come more. Things. I can talk all day. I know, you, know you can. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the Phil thing, where is this road going, do you think, for him? Where do I want it to go or where do I think it's going to go? Where, you know? Well, you, you can answer both yeah. ways. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I'm a huge Phil, Phil fan. Like I said earlier, like he's been great to me. Yeah. Um, we have a great relationship. I, I want him to come back and play on the PGA Tour. Um, that's where he belongs. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. I thought it was, I thought it was downright sad he didn't get to defend his title at Southern Hills. Whether he would have played good or not, I don't care. What he did – at Key Island was was so incredible, so historic. Like I, he deserved that right to defend, and he could have defended. I mean, they didn't tell him not to play. Right. But man, I don't want to use the line "everybody makes mistakes" because that didn't go over too well for somebody recently. No, it but, did not. But but what what he said was not right. But it's it's also words. Like we've all done it. Like he didn't hurt anybody. Like he just said some things that were very were, were not not appropriate. And whether they were taken out of context or not, whether it was off the record, on the record, that's not my business. I wasn't there. But I feel like he can. we can forgive Phil Mickelson at some point. In my opinion, I wish he would come out in front of everybody in person and give a statement and, and face the music. Because whenever he does decide to play golf, no matter where it's at, he's going to have to face the music and he's going to have to answer some tough questions. Yeah, but he's, yeah, go ahead. But he's just he's done so much good for the game of golf. You know, I mean – 98% of the stuff he's done for the game of golf has been fantastic. It's been awesome. Um, it's just, I, I hope this is not what he's remembered for. I hope not either. And I, I do think time, time is, time is a hell of an elixir. And, and as I did some, some interviews on some various channels on series last week. And the, the point I made was, it, it, look, this is not good. And this is a dark time for him. But I also remember Alex Rodriguez getting kicked out of baseball, and now he doesn't have one network job. He's got two. It's a great point. You know, time is, time is on everybody's side, and I, I think that, you know, whatever level of contrition that he's willing to share, uh, I, just, I just wonder when it's going to be. And with that, the Live Series. Will the Live Series put a dent into the PGA Tour at any point, do you think? It's, it's so weird. That's, it's such a – tough topic of conversation because it's like it, it's been hanging around hanging around yeah. it goes away it comes back you know i mean they're getting ready to go in two weeks i, I the money thing they're not going to ever go away because they're not going to run out of money it's just whether or not people are going to be entertained by this like my whole deal is guys like rory mcelroy justin thomas the money doesn't matter you can give them 200 million they don't care they don't know they don't even know how much money they have right now 
they got so much money. It doesn't even, it, it doesn't. So whether you play for 50 million, 10 million, it doesn't matter. They played for, a, they play for a lot of money on the PGA tour and it's a great place. And these guys didn't grow up saying, I want to win on the live tour. I don't want to win the team event. I want to, they want to win the masters. They want to win the PGA championship, the U S open, the open championship. So I don't see how it's going to work. I mean, because at no point in my, just in my opinion, do I think that Roy McIlroy, Justin Thomas, John Rahm see a guy that they know that they are better of, whether it be the 300th ranked player in the world, go over there and make $15 million and be like, I should be doing that. I want that. I just, I don't see that. Yeah. And I don't see people wanting to tune in to watch guys that aren't the best in the world, no matter how much money they're playing for. I, I just, that doesn't interest me. I mean, great. A corn Ferry tour player can have a putt for $6 million on the last. Great. I hope he makes it. It's a lot of money for him, but that's not TV. That's not watching Justin Thomas and these top players battle it out coming down the stretch to win a major championship. Yeah. The thing, the thing, and I agree with all of that is there is no business model here. So it's not as if they have to get to ever being profitable or they have to look at metrics when it comes to viewership. Go, oh, yeah, we're making progress. It's not about that. So, so when, when, you know, when some of these guys start turning up at these events and finishing fourth and making one seven, yeah. your guys are beating their head against the wall on the PGA tour. that are not necessarily the biggest stars that, that, you know, some, some foundational bricks that are part of, you know, the, the makeup and the, in the tapestry of the PGA tour on a regular basis, I can see them making the jump. I mean, it's obscene money. I can see a lot of the players that are down the world rankings making yes. the jump. 100%. Yeah. I don't see any of the top 10 in the world doing it. Okay. And that's where if they don't have any of those players, I don't think it has any legs. Like I just, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you can pay a, a quarterback that's not NFL caliber, a hundred million dollars. Doesn't mean someone's going to come watch him play, play football. Like, it's just not, that's just not how it works. I mean, you want to watch the best of the best do it. And listen, I'm interested to see what happens. I think, you know, a little bit of challenge for the PGA tour is good. Like, Hey, let's get the, I mean, compared to other sports, golfers aren't paid what NBA players are, what no, major league baseball players are. So yeah. Do I think they deserve more money? Absolutely. But they all are in a pretty good spot as it is. But if you're a player down the road, you're in your forties, what Jason Kokrak said on your podcast, at least he's honest. Hey, I want to make a shit ton of money in five years and then go hang out with my family. I'm perfectly fine with that. That's great. That's honest. Go for it. I don't blame a bit, but if you want to be a Justin Thomas who wants to win 14 majors, a Roy McIlroy who wants to win multiple, multiple, many more majors and make and leave his legacy on the game of golf, he's staying on the PGA Tour. They're not going over there. Yeah, I, I'm I, the, the money thing. When when people and it seems like there are too many people who cover the game who think that money's a problem. I'm like, really? Like, do you have any idea? Like, I, I'd asked this question recently to somebody. I said, do you know how much Danilo Gallinari, who plays for the Atlanta Hawks, has made in his career? And they're like. Who's that? I'm like, yeah, exactly. He's made $157 million, never averaging 20 points a game in the NBA. Yeah, DJ Tour players are not overpaid. JR, I think when JR Smith started doing this college golf, they, they came out and they said that he would be third on the all-time PGA Tour money list. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the amount of money they make is just absurd. Um, God, who is uh, uh, Jimmer Fredette? I met him yeah. this year in Scottsdale. Great basketball player. Loves golf. Me and Max Homo were out in Scottsdale. He came up and started talking to us. He's like, I cannot believe I'm hanging out with y'all. I just love golf. He goes, God, I would love to have your job. And I'm like, didn't you just sign for like three years, $40 million? He's like, 
42, 40 is guaranteed. I'm like, exactly. I was like, I don't even tell me you want to switch jobs right now. Yeah. You're making 40 million guaranteed. Exactly. All right. Let me, let me get you out of here with these five quick questions. Who has the best rap on the PGA tour? Kevin Kisner. Okay. I asked that question because a couple of years ago, uh, before you, when you were unfettered uh, and not an engaged man, I was told by this multiple major champion that you had the best rap on tour. That's the rap I'm talking about. Oh, well, that's way different. That's not I was going to say Kisner. He's a happily married man. Um, yeah, I was just a big, over, I don't know if I had the best rap. I was just an overachiever. Um, oh man, that's a tough one. I don't want to get anybody in trouble on, on here. Um, hey, on. Obviously one of, the, one of the young, young single guys. I thought we were talking about just like best trash. Oh, no, no. no. Like oh, boy. That's a, that's a tough one. All, all the guys I hang out with now are married. They're boring. <laughs> Let me, let me think about that when we go forward. I'll, okay. I'll, one will hit me. All right. Who who has the best temper on tour? Not the angriest, like the funniest, best. Who's Who's got the, the most entertaining temper? Pat Perez. No doubt about it. I mean, it's, he was, he still is one of my favorite people to play golf with. I mean, he's just, it's, it's comedy. And he's only mean to himself, which is what's great. Yeah. That, and that's to me, what, what is a great temper The the anger is all to himself and he doesn't, he doesn't inflict distraction on other people. He's, he's entertaining the hell out of them, yeah. uh, but it's all self-inflicted. He needs to be on TV more. It's great. I got to believe that, you know, the thing about him, it just, it, it just as an aside, look, he's in his mid forties and he's the same age as tiger. And the fact that the, I, I think one of the most underrated things a guy can do is stay fully exempt until they're 50, and, mm -hmm. and he has a reasonable chance of doing that. That's a hell of a thing. Yeah. No, I mean, it's him, Charles Howe, what they have done, unbelievable. Uh, no doubt. All right, who is, who is the best player we haven't heard enough from yet? Best player we haven't heard enough from yet. Uh, I think this kid, Davis Riley, is going to be a superstar. Um, I love his game. He, he, he checks all the boxes Yeah, and he is a very, very hard worker, but beautiful golf swing. He, he doesn't, he doesn't have any weaknesses. I, I expect this kid to be a superstar in the game of golf. He got it. I, I think at one point he got it to four under at some point on the weekend, early, maybe Saturday uh -huh. finished, I think one under for the championship. No, I, he is, no, he's the goods. Uh, I'm my answer him. before my answer before that was, was Max Homa. And, but I think the world's starting to realize how good he is now. I've, I've said when he made 17 grand on the PGA tour in a season, I mean, I was one of the ones that pulled him aside. And I was like, dude, you're fucking good at this game. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta realize like yours. It's ridiculous. I play a lot with him at home. I've, I've always been a big believer in him, but I think now the world's starting to see how, how good Max Homa is. Yeah. And the other thing we talked about it last week in Tulsa, everyone's like, well, he hadn't done anything in major. He played in 11 major championships mm -hmm. and he finished tied for 11th this past week, yeah. which was his best performance. Yeah. He's gone to another level. All right. The, the non-golf guest you want the most on the subpar podcast. Oh, I mean, it's Michael Jordan. I mean, no, no doubt. I've, I've had the opportunity to play golf with them. Um, you know, he doesn't do much media. No, he doesn't. I, I think we, yeah, we saw, we saw the last dance, which is, arguably the greatest sports documentary that's ever been created. He's, he's the best and he loves golf. I mean, we wouldn't even need to talk about basketball. No, with him. I mean, no, I wouldn't he loves wanna, golf. He, I yeah. wouldn't want to talk about basketball with him. I, I mean, if you and drew uh, go to Grove 23 and just say, wherever you say it, your time, your place, I know he's reluctant, but I think you, you guys can get him. 
I'm I'm gonna work on it. It's just he's he's such an intimidating figure, right? Like no I mean, doubt. I've been around him, and same thing. Like I, I've been to Vegas with him quite a bit. We talk trash, have fun, but it's like, hey, will you come on my podcast? Like that's terrifying for me <laughs> for me to ask Michael Jordan. <laughs> But but talking but, golf, I sat behind the twelfth green at Medina at the Ryder Cup in twelve with him, and he he's like I, I'm like God I want to go watch golf, but but MJ's just talking. I mean like I don't want to leave him either. He can talk insane. all day. I'll tell you a quick one. I know we got to get going, but yeah, Max Soma. We were in Vegas one time, and MJ was there at the same time, and I'd known him for a couple of years. And Max is a huge NBA fan, huge Kobe yeah. Bryant, huge Michael Jordan fan. And I was like, you want to meet MJ? He's like, are you serious? And like, he went over and I was like, M, this is Max Homa. And Max like literally couldn't talk, just stared at him and shook his hand. It was, it was so awesome. I loved it. But that's what he does to people. Like he, I mean, he's that guy. There's, there's six-year-olds wearing his shoes that never seen the guy play. Six-year-olds, my, my 22 and 20-year-old daughters, all they want are Jordans. No, it's, it's absurd. All right. Last thing. Who is the best money player at Whisper Rock? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, tour player, non-tour player. It could be whoever. This is their own uh, money. Yeah. Um, Ches Reeves a very, very tough beat at Whisper Rock. Mark Mulder very, very told tough. me that. He said, you know, people, you know, they watch him and they were probably like, oh, look, who's this guy's a putz on tour. And he's like, this guy shoots 64 with yeah. a blindfold on every day at Whisper Rock. Yeah, he's a tough beat. He comes out on the proper end. A, a lot. There's no doubt about it. The other one is Scott Harrington. He's he's tough out there as well. I I played in the pro am with him at Sea Island. His rookie year, he just got in his card, so he's playing the fall mm-hmm. events. And and first of all, I thoroughly enjoyed his company. A huge sports fan has an interesting collection of teams that he roots for. It's weird. It's very eclectic. Yes, it's very weird. It's very really weird, annoying, actually. Um, but but I was like, God, he's got the length he needs. I thought he got closer to the hole. He was like, good. I'm like, wow, this guy, you know, it just goes to show you, my God, there's so many guys. Yeah. He's got a lot of game. It's. Did you, did you come up with the best rap on tour? Are you just going to, are you going to pass? But you never I'm actually going to pass on one question. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never passed on a question ever, but that's a tough one. I'm trying to go through and think of all the single guys and who's good with them. And uh, nothing's hits me. Maybe I'll text you an answer. All right. Very good. All right. Listen, I appreciate the time. Uh, I, I say this as a friend and not to patronize you. I'm proud of you. I mean, you're, 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 you are, you're doing something that is making the viewership of the game of golf uh, more enjoyable, more entertaining. Most importantly, I know you're enjoying it, and I'm happy as hell for you. But thanks for taking the time. Dude, thanks for having me. You know, I've always been a fan of yours. You've been so great to me throughout my career, you know, playing and now in, on the media side. Really appreciate anything I can ever do to help you. I'm here for you. Thanks, buddy. Well, really appreciate Colt taking the time. As you could tell, he really can go all day. And players genuinely, not only do they trust him, they love him. Like all these guys are like his boys. And you can go down the world ranking list. And not only can he get them all on his various programs, He can get them to tell them what's going on in their minds while they're playing competitive golf, which is really valuable when it comes to the viewer in the game of golf. CBS has got a a new star, and it's important at a time where a lot of the most important voices are getting older. So I appreciate his time, but most importantly, I appreciate your time listening to this Five Clubs conversation. We'll talk to you next time.